Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorp, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harbison. So, South Africa have finally named their squad for this week's ODI series against England. We'll build up to that three match share series, which is live and exclusive here on Talksport 2. We'll also discuss the news that Steve Smith has signed for Sussex for three games in May and whether that's the right thing for English cricket. And we'll be joined by former South Africa captain Fafdu Plessis to look back at the career of Hashim Amla, who announced his retirement from all cricket this week. So plenty to come over the next hour. As usual, you're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. So England will be playing their first ODI series since uh, returning to the number one ranking. That means they're now in the top three across all three formats. Hami, I find this series absolutely extraordinary and there's no precedent um, that I can think of. I've got this picture in my mind of the England squad meeting up at Heathrow Airport to fly out. Do you remember 10 or 15 years ago we reached that point on massive Long Ashes Test Series where the backup staff, the coaches and the hairdressers and chefs uh, finally were as many as the players. You know, you'd have 15 of each and uh, well, this would have been a bit different at Heathrow because the backroom staff and coaching staff would have outnumbered the players by about four to one because there were only three players. There were only three. Harry Brook, Ben Duckett and um, David Willey. They're the only three who aren't either in South Africa or flying in from Dubai. Yeah, and they might have even been flying from, with with that, they might have been flying from different parts of the world, different parts of the country as well because the the Yorkshire lads might have flew from Manchester and David Willey possibly... He might have flown from Heathrow, so you might have had three players going on two different planes to South Africa, as opposed to where before you'd meet the day before, you'd do all the media, you'd sign all the merchandise and the bats, you'd get your kids and think, right, I'm now an England player, last trip to the bar, a few beers before you get on the plane and away we go. 
and it, it just seems as though the modern day game's changing. Um, the modern day thinking is changing. And now the, the modern day travel is definitely changing. So it's fine. I think there's eight already in South Africa. There's a few in UAE playing in the, um, the, the T20 league over there. And, and obviously the test lads who spent a bit of time in, in Pakistan and, and David Willey. I fly from England and I'm looking forward to this series, Manners, because you look at the South African squad that's been picked, you look at the England squad that's there, you think, oh, this could be a humdinger because, like you said before, Med mentioned on, I think, last week, what is this series for each of the sides? Well, massive for England players to keep into in the team who are now ranked number one in the world. And South Africa have got to do a lot of winning of cricket matches between now and the, the World Cup qualifiers if they don't want to have to go to Zimbabwe and go to the qualification stage. So for me, I still think there's a lot on this series, even though it is a little bit of an afterthought after the, obviously the, the postponement from COVID. Well, I mean, it's not an afterthought for South Africa. Let's just um, go through the squad very quickly. Those players who are in South Africa, uh, Joss Butler, Adil Rashid, Joffre Archer, Jason Roy, Phil Salt, Sam Curran, Reese Topley and Ollie Stone. Moen Ali is the captain of the International League T20 Sharjah franchise. So he'll be flying from Dubai with his Sharjah teammates, David Milan and Chris Wokes, which, as I said, leaves just three players who have actually had a winter off. <laughs> Imagine that. Ben Duckett, David Willey and um, uh, Harry Brook, who, of course, would have been in South Africa uh, with the Durban Supergiants had uh, the ECB not said, no, no, Harry, you're going to put your feet up. You're going to have a January at home in the cold. You've been playing too much. As far as South Africa are concerned, South Africa is supposed to host the 2027 World Cup, Harmy, and that might be the only thing that keeps 50-over cricket alive in this country. If they lose this series uh, to England, and especially if they lose it 3-0, they've got no chance of automatic qualification for the World Cup. We've spoken about this a lot in the past, but it, it, the penny doesn't seem to be dropping, the enormity of the result for South Africa. If they lose 3-0, then it doesn't matter whether they beat the Netherlands in their final two World Cup Super League fixtures, they will not qualify automatically. It means they have to go to Harare in June and July and play against uh, the likes of one of Sri Lanka or the West Indies because they can't both qualify either. Host Zimbabwe, Ireland, Scotland, Netherlands. We've seen how dangerous they can be. The UAE might even spring a surprise. Namibia as well. Oh, Namibia, of course. Yeah, very good point. I mean, that's a very strong tournament. Um, and South Africa would have to finish in the top two. They'd have to reach the final in order to sneak into through the back door into the World Cup. There is so much at stake. And as I said, they, they don't have a coach. They will only get together a maximum 48 hours before that first game in Bloemfontein. It doesn't matter that, that Moed Ali and the boys will be climbing off a business class flight into Joburg Airport and driving down to Bloemfontein. It doesn't matter if they only pitch up 12 hours before the game. I know it's important and it's an England series, but there's nothing like the magnitude that there is for South Africa. No, there's not. And I sometimes think whenever you, like you mentioned, rocking up day before, come on, lads, let's let, let's enjoy ourselves. I think England are going to be even harder to beat in that mentality, that, that way. We've been playing around the world. We've played against each other, quite a few of them. So when they rock up in Bloemfontein, yeah, like you say, 12 hours before the uh, the first ball, they're high-fiving, shaking each other's hands, trading what stories they've got off each other when... You know, Sam Curran bowled to, to, to Phil Salt or whatever, and the, the Mickey taking that comes with that. 
that makes it an, a nice environment, an enjoyable environment. And when you get an enjoyable environment, like England have got at this minute in time, the sort of freedom you play with, could you play? Could England play with any more freedom, to be honest, with the group that they've got? It could make them even harder to beat because it'll just be like a group of mates getting back together. Let's go and have three games of cricket, a little bit of a hit and giggle, and let's go and enjoy ourselves. And that, with talent in the mix, that's going to make it even harder for me for South Africa to beat England because England are a ridiculously strong side, whichever 14 they play, whether they rotate or they keep the same team for the three games. But if you've got a, a feel-good factor in the group anyway, as well as we're not going through the rigmarole of pressure before the tournament, pressure before the, the series, we're rocking up and, and we've got all this. We are England and we are ambassadors of our country and we're doing all the media before. They're rocking up just before the game, go and have a laugh and enjoy our cricket, then go back to whatever league they've just come from. I actually think that makes England harder to beat. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Everywhere you look in the build-up to this series, there is another extraordinary story. I mean, let's not forget that Joe Root isn't in this squad, but he's not uh, putting his feet up and having a, a cold January off. He's going to play the whole of the ILT20 for the Dubai Capitals. And he made a very good 80 the, the other day, um, played some brilliant, brilliant shots. There's that. There's also Jason Roy, Harmy, and I know that you might not have been watching every game that he's played in the SA20, but boy, oh boy, it's becoming one of those subjects that's almost too awkward to talk about. Has Jason Roy... You, we've been talking about his form for a year, mm. haven't we? And you've been saying class is permanent, form is temporary, but my goodness me, this is going wrong. I mean, he is a he is a great 50-over player. A much better player. His record is so much stronger in 50-over cricket than 20-over cricket. But, you know, he is in the squad. Um, and he's had a, enduring a torrid T20 tournament again for the Paul Royals. So will England open with him? I mean, how long do his franchises and his country carry on? Yeah, I think he open with him. I think he stick with him. I, I personally would. You've got three games. Like I've just mentioned about the environment. Willing England will create that environment, the, the, the enjoyment environment. That's not taking any pressure away. Pressure's still going to be there on the players when they go out to the middle. And the biggest one under pressure for me in this 14-man squad, obviously, is Jason. But you mentioned before, he's a fantastic 50-over cricketer. The problem that Jason's got is you know, Johnny Besto will be fit very, very soon. He'll be back playing you know, shorter format cricket. And then, obviously, hopefully with, with the Ashes coming up, World Cup round the corner, Jason's got to perform now. And I think that is... He's had a lot of people back him. He's had a lot of people question him. But a lot of people back him. I myself, I back Jason Roy to go out and score some runs. So for me, he plays in these three one-day nationals. He probably gets a little bit of a a bump in the summer as well, because I'm not sure when Johnny will be fit. But then when Bestow's fit, then the question marks will come. And if Roy's still out of form then, yeah, there will be changes afoot. There has to be, because he can't carry on 18 months, two years, and come off the back of, well... You know, forms temporary classes permanent. He's a fantastic 50-over player. He's a World Cup winner. There's only so long you can go for. And I still think there's a little bit of a little bit of credit in the bank yet for Jason. But it's so slowly, it's slowly coming down and trying to get some form in these franchises has been a little bit more difficult as well. So he might need just that little little change of environment. Going over to Blum, going down to Blomfontein, going and getting a 50 or a 70 in one of these games. He might then bounce back and whoever he's sort of franchise is thinking of dropping him. This might be a three-game 
a three-game hit for Jason Roy that his franchise possibly needs him to have to go back with the England team and then come back and, and hopefully take them back into the tournament in South Africa. Oh, but I'd stick with him for these three games. Just seems so short of uh, confidence. I mean, confidence is still... He can still hit the ball. I mean, it's not yeah. like he's, you know, he's lost his game. But he's trying um, too hard as well, matters. You can yeah. see he's itching to get at it and his hands are going before his feet and he just looks as though his timing's not quite there. You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a technical thing. Maybe it's a mental thing where just sort of having a chat with him and talking to him and and talking about just raining your emotion back. You know, not trying to blast every ball for six and four and try and bray way out of trouble. Buy yourself some time. Give yourself a chance. You know, hold your hands in that little bit more and try and build your way through. Not the Jason Roy way, but something that's going to you know get here to B and B to C and the confidence going because at this minute in time. It seems he's always, his hands want to do one thing. His feet's nowhere near where his hands are. And his head is probably trying to tell the world, look, I'm still Jason Roy pumping my chest out and I'm still one of the best openers in 50 over cricket. He might just need a little scruffy innings just to get himself going, to get the hands and feet working. But I've said before, the boy, is, the boy has got a lot of great qualities in 50 over cricket that England need, especially in the subcontinent, if they want to have to get off the good starts in the World Cup. And very briefly, a number of people have asked us, Army, to confirm whether it's uh, true or not that the the runs and wickets and records in the ILT20 in the UAE don't actually count towards your official T20 record. And that is true because it's a tournament hosted by an associate nation, um, which, again, is, is remarkable. So, you know, uh, all I can say is that they might be monopoly runs and monopoly wickets, but it's not monopoly money. No, it's not monopoly money, and 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 I think it should be. It shouldn't go on your on your stats because it's like a lot. Well, a lot of people when the minor counties, you know, you, you a lot of us old pros would. I remember one game in a minor counties game. I think about three wickets in the first first session. I took me. I took. I didn't put my boots on for the middle of the session. I was no way I'm getting my career best against the university. Not even a cat and chance. I came out with my trainers on. John looked <laughs> mental. What are you doing? You need the ball before the season. I say, I get any more wickets against this. Not, no chance. So that was going first class. So for me, if the university had nothing against the university cricket, but if the universities was classed as on your first class stats, yeah, the, the players that are playing in that IL20, they should be recognised on your statistics. Joe Root got a good age the other day, like you mentioned. That should be in his T20 statistics because whether they're playing from monopoly money or not, there's some very fine players playing against each other in a half-decent tournament, to be fair. And Alex Hales, of course, has hit 110 and 99 in back-to-back innings, and they won't be reflected in his record either. So it's a it's an interesting uh, talking point. I'll come, come At the beginning of the set of part two, I'll ask you for your starting 11 um, for that uh, first ODI on Friday. Um, a reminder, you can hear every ball of England's upcoming three-match ODI series right here on TalkSport 2 with our live and exclusive coverage getting underway this Friday from 10am. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. As we continue to build up to TalkSport 2's live and exclusive coverage of England's three-match ODI series against South Africa, which starts this week. So South Africa finally named their um, 16-man squad for the series, which is already an eyebrow raiser. Why would they need to name 16 players for two venues that they know extremely well? But a 16-man squad it is. There are no surprises in it. 
Um, and that is no surprise in itself because their new white ball coach is still in New Zealand. His contract doesn't begin until the 1st of February. In fact, he's still packing up his house and finishing off his commitments with the Otago Vaults. So he won't actually be flying to South Africa until mid-February. Um, he was consulted about the squad. And why on earth would he chop and change the national squad when he hasn't even been involved in South African cricket? What impression would that give to the players if he decided that uh, a whole series of new players who probably deserve their chance were suddenly in his first squad? So he's just said, these are the guys that got us into this mess. Give them the chance to get us out. If we don't qualify for the World Cup, then maybe that's the chance to start rebuilding. Uh, so Rob Walter is the man, 47 years old. He's, as I said, still in New Zealand. So it's very much as is. All the old familiar names, um, Harmi, uh, with Teba Bavuma still the captain. I can tell you that Yanaman Malan and Riza Hendricks have probably opened the batting, have been in horrendous form in the SA20 and probably wouldn't have made a squad on form. But um, at least England will know exactly about the men they're going to face. Yeah, it looks, uh, to be fair, on BFO matters, it looks a strongish squad. The names that you'd expect to be there, and like you made mentioned that the men that got them in the mess are the ones that have to get them out of it, because if they do have to go to Harare and, and qualify, then that might need a, a wholesale change, a wholesale mindset change as well, because picking these players to a qualification, a little bit like when the West Indies went not long ago, they were sitting ducks, we're never going to qualify. So that might be the turning point for South African cricket. If if England do beat them and beat them comfortably, then the, the younger model might be with a new coach going into into the qualification set. But when you look at the at the team, you you look at the you look at the the names on that on that list. The bowling unit especially looks very very strong. That you're probably thinking that oh, we won up South Africa one top class batsman, Bafta Plessy short. Um, I know that the coach is toying with the idea of possibly even reaching out to, to Faf to try and get him to come back and play 50-over cricket or play any cricket for South Africa would be a bonus. But I look at this at this side, manners and where's their confidence, first and foremost? Yeah, is it a new coach? Are they looking to impress? Will they look to impress from a mindset point of view? Or are they at the point where... Because the actual qualification, you can tell us in a second what it takes to qualify uh, in the permutations, but are they already going, right, we're not going to qualify. We can't qualify from this group. Um, and we're going to be in Harare come July because that, for me, is what's going to get them over the line against England. I think England are going to beat South African side and it's going to be which mentality South African side, for me, which turns up because names on better paper, there's some good ones there. But actually, the game's not played on paper and the mentality of the South African unit, if it's not there, I think England will win 3-0. OK, first of all, the qualification scenarios are that South Africa have got five games left. These three against England and then two uh, remaining from their series against the Netherlands, which will be played here in South Africa at the end of March and beginning of April. Um, so five games, if they win all five, they send the West Indies to Harare to the pre-qualifier. So in that sense their fate is in their own hands. It starts to get more complicated then if they win four out of those five. So if they if they beat England 2-1 and beat the Netherlands 2-0 in those last two games because the first one was uh, was cancelled um, halfway through because of COVID and rain actually a year ago, then the final 
series involves Sri Lanka playing a three-match series in New Zealand. And it all depends how Sri Lanka do. Um, New Zealand have to be strong favourites, surely, in March, the end of March on home, home soil. So if South Africa lose the series 2-1 to England and then beat the Netherlands 2-0, they will have to rely on Sri Lanka producing an upset in New Zealand, which seems very unlikely. So that's the scenario, Harmi, and a, a, strong, a strong, confident South Africa team might well believe that they could, uh, they could beat England 3-0 on home soil, albeit unfamiliar home soil, because they don't play in Bloemfontein and Kimberley very often, not more than once every three or four years. Um, the point is, those players, and it's the majority of them, who were humbled by the Netherlands and left the T20 World Cup with their tail between their legs, have still had no official closure. They scuttled out of Australia with their tails between their legs and basically hid for a while. Teva Bavuma didn't even play any cricket and didn't do any media, didn't speak to anybody, the captain. And now they've buried themselves in the SAT in the SA20. And and it's a it's a fizzbang, wonderful tournament with lots of uh, spectators, capacity crowds for the most part. And I don't think that uh, they've had a real opportunity, but they haven't had that opportunity to be together as a group. They haven't discussed what happened. Uh, the inquiry that was promised into what happened and, and how they, they could lose so appallingly has still not been reached. It was said to be done in two weeks. It's now been two months. So I honestly think they're going to arrive in Bloemfontein they obviously spoken to each other as individuals during the SA20, but they're going to arrive for the first time as a team and all of those nightmares are going to be freshened up again and all of those wounds, which probably still haven't healed properly, will be opened again. And to expect them to... I don't know, Harley, what, you tell me. You've got more experience. They're going to have to look in the mirror and then they're going to have to look at each other in the eyes and say, we've got a World Cup to qualify for we owe it to ourselves if nobody else yeah you you look at it and you think actually england's the best team to play well possibly could have been australia or are not as strong as as what england but the other message in the dressing room would be like you said there we gotta we gotta look each other in the eye after what happened you know we haven't had any closure but if we don't perform forget the the qualification we could get embarrassed here we could get embarrassed here these aren't coming here just to make the numbers up. And because South Africa aren't favourites, that probably can help if they're the right mentality. This is what I keep talking about, the mentality of it. There's still a lot of closure from the Mark Voucher time. I get that. There's still a lot of open wounds from what happened during the T20 and, and, and before that. But at the end of the day, if you go on with a bad mentality and you go into this series with a poor mentality, you're not playing against... Sri Lanka or Pakistan, West Indies, who you only should be beaten or could be beaten on home soil. You are on home soil, but you're still miles away from being favourites. You're playing against England. England are the best white ball team, arguably the, one of the best white ball team that's ever been. So if we are not on it mental, from a mental point of view, we could get embarrassed here. We could get seriously embarrassed here. And that the consequences of that is not the qualifications in Harare, the consequences of that could be a lot of our careers are at a point of no return with a new man coming in. Because when we go to Harare, if we do get embarrassed, 
probably seven or eight of these names on this sheet, which are very, very good names, will be replaced by the likes of Tristan Stubbs and Dewalt Brewers, one or two other young players coming through. So you mentioned look in the mirror. If I was a senior player in this group, it's like, yeah, we've got questions to be answered. But if we're not on it here, these can really embarrass us. They could really beat us heavily because they're a good side. And some of us might never play cricket internationally again. Do we really want that? And that would be the message I'd be saying if as a senior player in my side. Well, yeah, exactly. It could be a watershed moment in um, South African cricket and not one just for this season, but one that can last for a generation. Um, sorry, I asked you, I was for England's, your, your England starting 11. Um, I said we'd do it at the top of this section. Um, sorry about that. So uh, does Duckett open? Can Mo Ali bat six? Uh, I'm just trying to look at the balance of the team. Um, we know that the wickets are going to be hard and flat. Um, with little spin and little seam movement. There'll be some bounce and pace, but they're flat. They're flat pitches. Did you ever play in Bloemfontein or Kimberley, by the way? Uh, yeah, I played in Kimberley. I was injured for the for the the, Blumf- the, the famous Bloemfontein when when he got when he got to 96 and he went, oh, we're standing on the balcony of a garland. Don't kiss the badge. Don't kiss the badge. Don't kiss the badge. He hits the ball. 25,000 South Africans turn their back on him. I'm talking about the one, the only Kevin Pearson, and where they stand on the balcony going, well played, Kev, but don't kiss the badge. Don't get, oh, no, he's kissed the badge. He's kissed the England badge as his arms are aloft, and it was a ridiculous 100. I don't know if you remember, if you were there, Manners, but it was a fantastic 100. It was one of the most surreal experiences I've ever been involved in a cricket match because I am, I'm standing on the balcony going, what an unbelievable innings I have just witnessed. Nearly everybody, because no England fans are going to go down to Bloemfontein. Everybody in the ground was from South Africa, and everybody in the ground turned their back on him. And it was like, oof. when we talk about the Ashes and what it took 2005 to win the Ashes, and when Kevin talks about pressured situations, not really bothered about Warren and McGraw and people like that. And he said, I'd just gone to my homeland and got 300s in a one day series, and the stick I got for that made me stronger, I could take the ashes on, not a problem. And when he got that 100 in Bloemfontein, wow, what an atmosphere, what, what a spectacle that was. But it's a difficult place to go and play. I nearly, went there, I nearly signed for Free State, Orange Free State, under Corey Fansal uh, and Hansi Cronia asked me in 99 to go off the back of uh, when South Africa played a warm-up test match again, uh, warm for the test match at Durham. And Jerry Liedenberg, who played for or free state, he got 100 in the first test match and I broke his thumb at Chesley Street and they came off the field and they tried to get me to sign and I went on an air tour that, that window and Matthew Hoggard, Hoggy went for three years um, and he lived in, I think he lived in Al Donald's garage um, in, the, in the the apartment above his garage and he says he had three unbelievable years but it was a, a wonderful place to go and, and play cricket but I just think South Africa are going to really, really struggle in this series even though they're playing in you say two places that they know where to play, they don't play there very often. Okay, and don't make uh, living in Alan Donald's garage sound like a hardship, by the way. It's air-conditioned, <laughs> there's a pub in there, double bed, bathroom, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a nice spot, I've been there. That's why, Huggy, that's why Huggy enjoyed it. Okay, so you're starting 11, you've got to be, you've got 30 seconds, literally. Yeah. Joss Butler going to bat in the middle order, I presume he is, Duckett and Roy opening, you're playing Rashid, presumably, um, yeah. one of Topley and Willie. Yeah, I'm going Roy Salt, 
Milan at three, Brook four, Butler five, Moanelli six, Sam Curran at seven, Chris Wokes at eight, Joffre Archer at number nine, Adil Rashid at number 10, and Reese Topley at number 11, which leaves Duckett, Stone, and Willie not playing. And then for the obviously the second game, Stone comes in for, for Joffre because I'm not obviously going to flog Joffre. And then managing his workload, Willie possibly then comes in for, for Reese Topley. But there's my my best 11 in that is what I said. Roy, Roy Salt, Milan, Butler, uh, Brooke Butler, Ali, Curran, Wogues, Archer, Rashid, and Topley. It might not spin, but we've got to play the spin twins. Best we've ever had in one day cricket. And they're playing every game, no matter whether it spins or doesn't. Okay, and we'll bring you live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of England's three-match ODI series against South Africa right here on TalkSport 2, starting this Friday with the likes of uh, Army, Darren Goff, Matt Pryor, and former South Africa coach Mickey Arthur, all part of the team. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two-time Caddy Championship winner Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll speak live to the former South Africa captain, Fuff Duplessis, who joins us to pay tribute to Hashim Amla, who retired this week. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewellery, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one, with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops, if we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can always download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And um, I'm delighted to say now, um, as promised at the top of the show, we're joined by former South African captain Fafdu Plasit, 
And I know that uh, you're a man of meticulous preparation, Faf, and you would uh, prefer uh, to spend time with a longer tribute to your former uh, teammate, um, Hashim Amla, who's now hung up all of his cricket bats, having retired from international cricket three years ago. Um, so we just like a, a word of uh, appreciation of the man and the cricketer. Any innings or moments off the field that particularly come to mind? I think when you when you think back, Kobash, you know, that's probably the biggest compliment any cricket player will ever ever look for is that every single player, when they have an opportunity to talk about Hashim Amla, will speak about him on how he enriched their lives. You know, off the field, uh, he was probably the the best cricket player that I've ever played with in terms of what he brought towards the team. So obviously you look at all the numbers and records and stuff like that. But as a team man, Ashu Mamla was, um, you know, for me, very important as a captain. Um, he, he brought so much heart and soul to that team. Um, and just a guy that was probably the most consistent human being that you could ever, almost like a role model. There was a, a picture of what, what someone was supposed to be like or how to act or how to behave or their values, Ashim Amla would be that picture. Um, so I think yeah, every guy would be lucky to say that they have played with him on what he brought away from the cricket field. And on the cricket field, yeah, well, I think almost one of those geniuses that was ahead of his time. Um, one day cricket, people thought that he was this unbelievable red ball cricket player and the white ball cricket was probably not his strongest format. But if you look at those numbers... I think he broke every record, you know, from a thousand to eight hundred, eight thousand runs or something like that. So, yeah, the Silent Warrior is, is probably a very good name to describe him as someone that you, you didn't know he was hurting you, but he was. If you looked at the scoreboard, he, he was hurting you badly. This is sort of my recollection of of playing against him and talking about great players, players that can have an indifferent time and then when they come back. They're just unbelievable. And I remember when we first played against them in England, you bowled a bouncer at Hashim Amla and you got him out. It was as simple as that when he first came on the scene. And then all of a sudden, he had to spend a little bit of time out of the game. And if you bowled a bouncer to him when he came back the second time, you mentioned about this island, he got you. And he was just a, a ridiculous player. And for me, that is a test of a true champion that has, yeah. a, has a different and then comes in. He's brilliant. Yeah, and that's the, that's the mark of... of- uh, you know, you, you may talk about great players, but what I, what I like about that is that Hashim was someone that you would have thought wasn't necessarily the greatest um, talent initially. Yeah, you looked at him and you go, you know, this guy's probably not going to have all what it takes. But then he finds a way um, to evolve as a player. And technically, that's what he did. You know, there, initially there was a few question marks around his batting um, and his technique, and he went, he went away and... and he fixed it in a way, but he came back with the, you know, with still the Hashim Amla um, about him. There wasn't, I'm going to bat like Jock Carlos because my technique um, had a few had a few holes. He made that technique his own, and and yeah, he was probably the guy for me that that changed the 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 textbook coaching that we all get taught all the time. As well, certainly that I got taught as a younger player. Like you have to put your foot towards the ball. You have to have a big stride. You have yeah. to have a straight factor. All of those things, uh, Ashim definitely, for me, was like, okay, I don't need to have a big stride when I'm hitting a cover drive because Ashim doesn't have a big stride when he hits a cover drive. He just has a great, you know, his head through the ball is just perfect and his hands are so fast. Yeah, so 
all great players go through those challenges where they have to come back um, and, and have that resiliency to, towards their career. So, yeah, Sparan, he had that. And when he came back to England, obviously that tour, when mm. he scored after 300, yeah, there was there was not a lot, lot of wrong technically then, was there? Yeah, fortunately, I just retired by then, so it was a nice time to... A wrong nice plan, a wrong plan. Yeah, nice time to bow out. He was, yeah, for me, there was an aura about him at the crease, like you mentioned. It was like slow motion when he played, and then, obviously, Surrey got the best of him the last sort of five years off the field. Um, you mentioned about what a guy he was, and he's retired. I have seen rumours in a newspaper this morning that Faf du Plessis might be coming out of international retirement. Uh, I follow you on social media, Matt, and you, you look as though you're having a great time with the family. Is there any truth? Are you fancy coming out of retirement and playing in a, a South African shirt again? Yeah, I mean, you, you know better than I do that articles are there to, to create some, some, <laughs> some nice stories. It's very, very early on in that. I've, I've, in my own mind, sort of hasn't seen that would be an option, but obviously now there would be talks around that again. So let's see. Uh, a lot, a lot of water needs to run through that um, to have a, um, I'm actually looking forward just to have a conversation with the new coaches. Not about me, actually. I, I think what's really important is for South African cricket. Everyone wants the best for South African cricket. So if you can pull on all the, you know, the guys that's been around the team for a while and make sure we we we, we invest as much as we can into making sure that that Proto team is as strong as it can be. Um, and uh, from what I from what I've heard, both of them are keen to make sure that we pull all the all the strong cricket brands into one hat and just and make sure we get um, the South African team as where it needs to be. I wasn't expecting Harmi to ask you that, uh, Faf, but thank you so much <laughs> um, for your time. Um, it is uh, really very, very much appreciated. The very best of luck um, with the SA20 in the closing stages. Um, it seems to be a fabulous tournament from the outside, and I presume it's pretty good from the inside. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, and as I think, you know, the guys who's played long enough in South Africa and we're lucky enough to play in front of big crowds, you know, especially early on in my domestic career, there was always um, big crowds. And then you compare it with international cricket um, and having a full stadium in South Africa and now being involved in the domestic setup where you have every match is a sellout. Um, it, it just feels right, man. It's like it feels like we, we, we're doing a lot right. It feels like there's a lot of purpose to what we're doing here. You know, it's it's... You know, I compare it to watching some of the, the T20s in, in the Emirates League now and you like, we are so lucky because we've got full houses of crowds coming in and supporting. Um, so great for South African cricket. I think it's a really good standard of competition as well. Yeah, so uh, we we up there with, with the best T20 months in the world right now. It's just occurred to me that uh, Hashim isn't actually that much older than you and you're still going strong. Uh, I'm, I'm the... The last one standing manners of my of my of our, of our friends group and our and our time we played together. So, yeah, I'm 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 still enjoying playing, um, but it is interesting seeing all my mates being coaches and assistant coaches and batting coaches, <laughs> bowling coaches everywhere we go now. So that's awesome. Once again, really important for South African cricket to make sure we use those use those experience um, that that we've had for so long. You know, Dale Stein, great to see him as in the South African setup. Morno Morkel, uh, Mashimamna, JP Dimini, Robin Peterson. Uh, I think it's it's amazing that we're getting that right. Uh, and I think that's really crucial to the future of our game. Former South African captain, Faftu Kasi, thank you so much indeed for your time. And I know you've, you've probably got nets to get to. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Man, that's good to chat to you.
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, for the first time in almost two years, I've almost got the timing right. We've got just a minute left, and I've only got two more things to ask you. Mike Hussey replacing Gary Kirsten as head coach at Welsh Fire. Fantastic man. Lovely, lovely human being. Great coach. Uh, he needs more Welsh players. I don't think it's going to make any difference who coaches the Welsh Fire if it doesn't have any Welsh players in it. And Hashim Amla, five years after retiring from international cricket, has finally hung up all of his bats. No more professional cricket for him. Yeah, I'm pleased to say us in English cricket, as much as I'd love an English coach in the England year, and I'll keep banging that drum as much as Keezy has a go at me to stop having a go at the 100. An English coach in the, in an English com- domestic competition makes a huge amount of sense. But on the other hand, Mike Hussey's played a lot of English cricket and he's part of the he's part of the winning coaching team in T20. So it would be nice if he could get some Welsh players in the Welsh fire and breathe that sort of Welsh dragon and get Sophia Gardens or the, whatever the, the stadium's called now to to really sort of make it patriotic when you go down there to Wales when the, the fire are playing. It's a good appointment, good man. And speaking of good man, Hashim Amla, what a career. Fantastic batsman. A really, really nice man as well. And that for me is... When you retire from international cricket and people say, as a player, he was unbelievable. And as a person, he was even better. Well, that tells you everything about Hashim Amla because as a player, he was unbelievable. His numbers were unbelievable. And a little bit like we might see what Steve Smith could do in a couple of years' time. When he finishes playing international cricket, he might find a county, part of England that he fancies to live in and love. Um, and make county cricket better by having his presence in it. County cricket was better by having Hashim Amla in it. And um, sorry, we'll miss him. Bats, we'll miss him. Got huge void to fill, more off the field than than on the field. But he was somebody that was very, very difficult to play against. Um, and he was somebody who played the game in the right way, in the right spirit. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Well, the next topic of conversation is one that uh, is, again, proving to be surprisingly divisive. And I, and I have to say, not quite as well-informed as the topic of man-cutting, which is splitting the cricket world asunder. Run-outs of the non-strikers then, I think, uh, is understandably provoking more emotion than the subject of former Australian captain Steve signing a short three-match contract with Sussex uh, to play three championship, Division Two championship matches before the Ashes. Like I said, it's a, it's a topic of uh, animated conversation. And I, I, I think not only has some of it been uninformed, Harmy, but it's it's been uninformed from people I think should be far more informed. Your initial thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. I've said that a couple of weeks ago. I got me days mixed up. Thought he might have gone and played for Surrey. Seeing the fixtures, it was a blast game. If Sussex played, so sorry, I'd have like released Joffre Archer on him. And look, Steve Smith averages sixty in England. You know, he's been on Ashes trips before. If it had been one of the younger batsmen, yeah, I could say. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I would have a, a little bit more of a better taste in my mouth than than Steve Smith. Not a big believer in yeah, saying it, put bums on seats or whatever that comes to it. Look, he's a fantastic cricketer, probably one of the best of the modern generation. He's going to come to play for England, play in England. He's going to play against England. Steve Smith's three games against Alistair Worcestershire and Glamorgan. Is that going to tip the balance of winning the Ashes? No, no one bit. 
You know, if Ben Stokes' side loses the Ashes, it's not because Steve Smith played three games for Sussex. It's because Australia performed better than what than what England did. And Steve Smith, he's been here many times before. He knows how to play in England. He, he's played so many test matches. He's got an average of 60. He's a ridiculous player. And the people of Sussex are going to see a, a world-class batsman play for their team. People of Worcester and uh, Leicestershire and, and Glamorgan, their members are going to see a world-class player play at their ground. And if he gets a, a hit before the Ashes, then so be it. But I don't think it's going to tip the balance between winning and losing the Ashes. When people say it's not reciprocal, we don't go there, and England players don't go there. Well, it's because they've only got five, six states. There's not as many places to go for. I get that. If England wanted to go over there and have a, a better chance of winning by playing more cricket, or their individuals playing more cricket over there, well, then memo to the ECB would be go there earlier, play more games before in preparation before the Ashes. We might have a better chance of winning. But to say, oh, it's not right because we're not allowed to go over there. We are allowed to go over there. We just don't take the options to go. And that's yeah, that's it in a nutshell for me. It's not going to be defined, the Ashes, by Steve Smith playing for Sussex. Yeah, let's celebrate. Celebrate we've got a world-class player coming over to our shores and going to play in the British Isles for three three games where other people can go and see. Not in a test match environment. A more relaxed environment. You can get up close and personal to to see one of the best players in the world play. I've played with so many unbelievable overseas players at Durham. Shivnarayan Chandrapur came over for a couple of years and won the won the, the championship with us. My first overseas in a band I still hold in the highest regard when it comes to his respect for the game and respect for the people. He's now a match for free, David Boone. Yeah, these guys came over and they were different to Steve Smith. They made the they made the county theirs. They made they came for a long period of time. Mid the county dares. It's not that the case this time with Steve Smith coming over and let's talk about it for what it is. He's coming over for a game of cricket for a net before the Ashes. Well, exactly. And that's what that's the only thing that is troubling me. I, I completely understand the arguments for and against. Um, and if I was chief executive at uh, Sussex, you know, I, I would imagine that I, there would be some really quite strong motivating reasons for, for signing him. But conflating what used to happen many years ago. You mentioned Shiv Chandrapal. He's one of maybe the last of what one of the few towards the end of the era in which overseas players could sign for a whole summer. But I mean, you know, this this idea that, that Steve Smith playing for Sussex for three three games is somehow comparable to Michael Holding's career at Derbyshire or Courtney Walsh's career at Gloucestershire. I mean, there's a Courtney Walsh avenue in uh, <laughs> outside the county ground. And even even when I began my my cricketing broadcasting career uh, with at Warwickshire, um, Alvin Kalicharan was uh, in the deep winter of his career, and uh, you know he had made the county um, his his own, and and they he was a cherished member of uh, of the staff, and and there have been many like that, even even in those late eighties. I, I remember, and I know that the international fixtures allowed it, but. But Steve Waugh with Somerset, Mark Waugh with Essex, you know, it wasn't, it, they didn't pop over for a couple of months in the height of summer. They endured those games in early May and they were there for the whole season and they came back for subsequent seasons and they created a little legacy. This is so different. So what I'm saying is don't compare the two. Absolutely. That's, that's the big thing. Cricket has changed dramatically since... 
I finished playing 2013 when I retired. The game's gone in such a different direction, let alone from even, even more so since I've retired from international cricket in 2009. The game is not so much the game's changed, but the calendar of the fixtures have changed, and the way the game is the way the game is played around the world, the way the game is seen visually around the world. People don't come for six months of the year. Yeah, Pajara came for a long period of time. Manus came to is is engraved and adopted Welshman. Don't play one day cricket. If Manus Labuschagne starts playing one day in twenty twenty cricket, we won't see him in the valleys anymore in in Glamorgan. But he's made it his own because he's embraced the area. He wants to play cricket. He loves playing cricket. Here's one for you, Manus. Yeah, you know, Steve Smith might might play Sussex. I, I can't see it happening, but he might be. He's going to play for Sussex for three games. I can't imagine if he only ever plays three games for Sussex that the Sussex shirt is going to go on his trophy cabinet over the wall. That would be a ridiculous trophy cabinet at the end of Steve Smith's career. But if he if he plays it and enjoys it, he's not somebody that plays a huge amount of short format cricket around you know, around the world. You might see Steve Smith play two years at the end of his career over in England because the one thing you you, you love about Steve Smith the way he bats, the way he thinks about the game, these mannerisms in the game. Even when he went through that, you know, I don't, I didn't want to come back to that that sort of difficult time when he left South Africa and he had to give up the captaincy. And there was a man sitting there in tears who loves the game of cricket for me. And it wouldn't surprise me if a guy who loves the game of cricket, who hasn't got the avenues of the shorter format franchise around the world, that you might see him do what Pajara did last year. He might come in the end of his career like what Manus is doing, and play full into the air for a county in England. That might happen. But to try and compare players playing from yesteryear who've made the county their own, that's never, ever going to happen unless you're only playing one format of the game, especially in the middle of your international career because a calendar doesn't allow it. Let's call it for what it is. He's coming over to get preparation for the Ashes series. Jimmy Anderson, I don't think, will lose any sleep over Steve Smith getting 100 against Worcester or 100 against Glamorgan. Jimmy Anderson will lose enough sleep thinking about trying to bowl at Steve Smith, whether he's got naught or 100, because he knows that he's a top player. We've got top bowlers. We'll be ready for Australia when they come. I'll not be defined whether Smith gets runs or not. For me, I quite enjoy the fact that we're getting, even though it's going to benefit him more than it benefits us, I enjoy the fact that we've got one of the modern generation greats coming to play in England and people can get up and close and personal to see the individual rather than just see the robotic figure in an international or when you see on the television. Here's one for you. Could it backfire? And and you know you know where I'm thinking about you know, let let's say that he's I think one game's at Grace Road. So um he goes there um at the end of May uh, to Grace Road and he finds a green seeming pitch and three Darren Stevenses uh, running in. <laughs> Bowling, <laughs> bowling 70, 72 miles an hour at him. I'm sorry, I can't um, name the Leicestershire attack off the top of my head, but but you you know what I mean. A classic English seam attack on a on a friendly green wicket, and he knows that this is not what he is going to experience in a couple of weeks' time. Um, you know, once the sun comes out in June in the first test, could it backfire? It could backfire. It, I tell you what, it could do it backfire. You. Playing extra three games, it could backfire on his body. He's not uh, the most, I would say, robust when it comes to his body. He has a bad back, like Joe Root. Oh, it's going to be chilly. It's going to be cold in May. You know, not for me. It'd be glorious when 
I think it's going to be a glorious, but when you've come from Sydney and you've come from 30 degrees, you know, Grace Road and Ruster in May could be could be a chilly affair for them. You might need a couple of extra extra layers on them jumpers. And yeah, injury, anything could happen to backfire. The green seamer part of it, if he gets three green seamers, that could backfire because if he gets 60 or 70 in a game and Sussex get over 300, he might play three games. It might say six innings, but he might, if he does get a big score, he might unbat three times. Because if they are playing on green seamers, then you know, realisation, if he bats at number four or number five, he might only get one hit in each game. So you just never know. I, honestly, Ben Stokes, I don't think we'll lose any sleep at all on Steve Smith playing for Sussex. Not once, what one bit whatsoever. He knows for a fact when the Ashes comes, he is going to come up against a world-class performer. Whether he's had a bat for three weeks or he hasn't had a bat for three weeks, he knows he's got He's got more to worry about than Steve Smith playing for Sussex. England will be ready for Steve Smith when the Ashes start. First, we are in, in sort of June in Edgebaston. And to be honest, if I was in that England bowling unit, I wouldn't be worried about Steve Smith playing for Sussex. Not one little bit. It's going to be bad enough worrying about him playing for Australia when we come up against each other five times. And yeah, there's things you can't control. And that's something I would imagine you know, Ben will be saying to the media when he gets asked the question. Got nothing to do with me. How he performs, I'm going to play. If it's if it's a, a huge deal, huge deal matters. Here's one for you off the top of my head. If it's a huge, huge deal from from an ECB point of view, and if there's lots men of it, I can't see Ben Stokes playing three games for Durham in May. Joe Root playing three games for Yorkshire in May. I can't see that happening. Two max, one likely. I can't see them playing three. So if it's a massive deal because Steve Smith's playing three games for Sussex. I can't see our England players playing three games for their counties leading into the five test matches in six and six and a bit weeks. Never going to happen. It's not a big deal. Okay, um, Chris Wright was the name, the man that I was thinking of. Um, I, I've got uh, F. Smith, LBW, Bold, C. Wright, six. Put <laughs> another one. You're right. Honestly, perfect. That could happen in backfire on Steve Smith. But there's also another one that be great for the ECB. Young Riyad Ahmed. He's going to bowl against Steve Smith for a county if he plays. You know, Will Lester played two. They'll play Carl Parkinson. Will, play, Will Lester played two spinners on a green seamer against Sussex. Riyad Ahmed is going to bowl against Steve Smith. You know, what a story that would be if he nipped the googly through that big gear. Bang, there you go. Second ball, bush off your belt. See you later, Steve Smith. 18-year-old running away. That's what I want to see. And that, for me, that's the way I'd be looking at it from a, a Rob Key's point of view. Right. Who cares whether Steve Smith plays three games for Sussex? Riyad Ahmed, 18-year-old, you go and play against him. Let's see Let's see where your development is and where you're at. Let's see that googly go for the gear and then let people talk about. Give Ben Stokes, that would give Ben Stokes a bigger headache if Riyad Ahmed gets Steve Smith out twice in the game for Leicester with him back in Jack Leach as his number one spinner. That, for me, would be, if I was Ben Stokes, I'd lose sleep over that rather than whether Steve Smith gets run for Sussex or not. Just one other thing. Final thought um, about uh, Steve Smith and his dodgy back, and he does, uh, you know, it, it's been through some wear and tear. It's actually, we have to remember that it's actually a six-test summer for Australia because they begin with the World Test Championship at the Oval at uh, you know, beginning of June, I think, where they still yeah. don't know who they'll be playing. But, um, yeah, so he's he's going to play three games for Leicester in three sweaters and then play a warm-up test for the World Test Championship and then the Ashes. 
that like playing a whole Sheffield Shield season in the space of what eleven weeks? Yeah, just under three months. Whole Sheffield Shield season in mm. the space of just under three months. But look, okay. Um, I think we've uh, covered the Steve Smith uh, debate. Um, I mean, he's he's coming, so uh, get used to it and um, make the best of it, uh, and uh, and make him feel welcome. Uh, <laughs> sure, he would do the same if England uh, sent players to go and play. For New South Wales. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can always download the podcast from the following on feed, now available as always via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder you can hear live and exclusive ball by ball commentary of England's three match ODI series against South Africa right here on Talksport 2. It all gets underway on Friday morning. But for now, for this week, this has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops, if we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.